Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Good afternoon, Sean. Right, first question. My three-year-old son loves to smell everything. Some examples will be that he loves smelling his food for a long enough time before he starts eating it. He'll smell his clothes before he wears them, his pillow before he sleeps. He'll smell a book before he reads, that sort of thing. It is cute and sweet because he's a smallie and anything smallies do is adorable, but I'm conscious of encouraging this as he gets older. I'd hate for him to have this complex, if that's what it is, when he's a teen or an adult. How do I nip this in the bud? I mean, I just think little kids, Mm. toddlers are masters at so-called quirky behaviours and smelling is a very common one that they do. So I don't like, sometimes when our children, especially young children, do something a bit quirky, we're tempted to look it up. Don't ever do that, is the the rule of thumb (laughs) with this. I mean, think about it from his perspective. Our sense of smell is exactly what links to our emotional limbic area of our brains, which is, of course, the housing centre for not just feelings, but also memories, pleasure, enjoyment, impulses like that are all there. So smelling can actually conjure up a lot of happy, comforting, warm memories and associations, um, which, of course, then will serve to reassure us and help us to feel safe, secure, relaxed, This may be, in other words, really working for him. Mm. That's what I'm thinking. So, you know, some of us are, as people in general, children do it, but so do some adults, by the way. It'd be interesting, you know, anyone listening to think about some of us have this need to smell things before we eat them, you know, especially if it's a new food or something unfamiliar. But some of us are just looking for more sensory information than others. We're more sensory seeking in our kinds of behaviours and how we negotiate around the world. And, you know, that can involve, by the way, seeking out smells that we might not associate with being traditionally comforting, like, you know, kids who might open a pot and smell Play-Doh, which for some of us isn't a particularly comforting association. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, lovely, Play-Doh, that mm. smell. But it's something that they just get something out of. So if a so-called quirky behaviour isn't interfering with any other aspects of a child's life, I my temptation would be to leave it alone and take it that he is fulfilling his own sensory needs through it. Now, if it did begin to affect or inhibit how he engages with like I cannot eat if it's a particular smell or I can only eat a particular smell for example or it was stopping him go to sleep or it was interrupting him at being able to go outside or engage in activities then I would seek a referral to an occupational therapist who could do a sensory profile and just build a more full picture of what is his sensory seeking stimulation type of behaviours about but at the moment if it's just something he does and he's otherwise eating sleeping sleeping and going about his three-year-old life very well. Take it for what it is. Could it be he just has a very acute sense of smell, as some people do? Absolutely. It could also be something quite transient and he'll grow out of it. And when he's nine, ten years old, you say, gosh, when you were really small, you used to do this and he'll find it hilarious. It could be something he continues. Okay, if he is doing it when he's nine or ten or or, or perhaps into the age more, perhaps other kids might start pointing it out. Again, my rule of thumb is, is this interfering with how he is otherwise living his life Mm. to the full? You know, that he's able to engage fully in activities in school. There's no real interruption in a meaningful way to sleeping or eating. I would be saying he's okay. But yes, look, if you think this has reached an over and above level or it's going on and it kind of is beyond this kind of quirky behaviour, then yes, you can always get an occupational therapy consult and they will either tell you, if only to rule something in or out, they'll tell you this is something or it isn't. And even if it is a sensory 
issue or a heightened sensory sensitivity, they'll give you some guidance around managing it, but it may be just something that he has. Yeah. I used to do this as a child. Well, I used it's to. It's very common. Bread, specifically. I'd, I can't eat bread without smelling it first. See, now, I, I, it's a bit um, of an impulse yeah, then. It's an yeah, it's an impulse then. But I, but I like the smell of bread. Now, it wouldn't be like if it's just a white, you know, sliced pan, I wouldn't smell it. But if if it's crusty bread, if it's nice bread, mm. I have to smell it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I totally I get love that. The smell of it. And I bet you loads of people listening going, yeah, well, I do it with new clothes or I yeah. do it with something that comes out of the washing machine the first time I wear it. Or we, it's very common that most of us, many of us, are living perfectly fine, perfectly well, and happily yeah. with some kind of a sensory quirk or heightened sensory sensitivity. Yeah. As you say, it's a way of engaging with the world. It's probably it really an underused is. sense. The, the really. whole measure is once it's not interrupting how he's mm. otherwise engaging and living life to the fullest. My seven-year-old daughter got chicken pox recently and had a tough time of it with itchiness and all the usual stuff. She has some scarring on her legs where they clustered at their worst because she scratched so hard. Her older brothers teased her about having chicken pox and she was quite low about it. And while we're over them now, my daughter is feeling very self-conscious about herself. I would have always described her as body confident because it's never been an issue and I don't think she had to think about her body before now. Uh, but now there's been so much focus on it with the chicken pox. She won't wear shorts or dresses at the minute. And I can tell she's trying to cover herself up more with hoodies and jumpers. How do I talk to her about it? I don't want to undermine how she's feeling by saying she's perfect, even though I think she is. And I don't want to make it worse for her by saying anything wrong. How do I approach this? Oh, God, she's only seven. I know. And, you know, chicken yeah. pox is like you can, you just remember if you can cast your mind back to ever having it yourself and the itchiness oh, and how yeah. tight and uncomfortable your own body and skin can become for you. And because she's only seven, I, I'm wondering if this may have been the first time that she ever really became aware of how her body really looked to yeah, others, yeah. you know, because at seven, isn't your life as it should be for for children, you know, about what your body can do mm. rather than how it can look. So this may be the first time she became aware of others noticing what her body looks like and telling her and thinking of the brothers yeah. unhelpfully commenting on, you know, the chicken pox and whatever it is, her spots or the scars or however. And I do think, by the way, talk to them about not commenting on how bodies look and let her hear you do that. Yes. I think that okay. would be useful in general. Otherwise, I think empathise with her that, you know, her body is probably feeling quite sensitive. Mm. You know, it might still feel a little tight and itchy. She may be aware of those little yeah. scars that could fade and there's always, you know, the arnica cream and the things that you can put on. But I do think getting in, you can certainly do some arnica or some aloe um, or get just kind of a neutral body lotion and massage into her body so that you're actually that itchy, sore, sensitive feeling on the skin is being replaced by a positive, deep pressure, relaxing type of soothing touch. Yeah. I think that could be really helpful. And you could do it in a playful way so that you're actually doing it like a weather report, you know, that you drum on her back with your fingers and you tell her it's raining and using the edge of your hands, you make chopping movements for thunder or moving your hands side to side. It's windy or big sun circles with the palm of your hand. So you're doing it like a commentary on weather that helps her keep focus. We're going for a walk and down comes the rain and here's the wind mm. and a comes the sun and we feel great but she's getting a lot of positive touch which is very regulating very soothing and should help her settle back into her body 
There's also kind of games that you can do with cotton balls where you might do a cotton ball, get her to close her eyes and you touch somewhere on her body and she just says where you touch. Knuckles, thumb, elbow, shoulder, nose, chin, toes, you know, just different areas Mm. of her body. And you're really helping her to bring her focus down into her body in a positive way. Same cotton ball, tell her not to think or talk, just feel what you're doing and give her a full face massage with it using enough pressure that she feels it because cotton ball, cotton wool can be quite tickly. You don't Mm. want it to feel like that. That's very stimulating. But you don't want to be digging in that it hurts her either. That middle kind of pressure and just give her that soothing face massage. You can do the same down her hands, her fingers. And you're really bringing a a, a really positive sensory experience back into the body for her. I think those kinds of activities can be very soothing and co-regulating and equally getting her back outdoors as much as possible. A lot of physical movement, a lot of fresh air, a lot of physical active, robust play to bring the focus back to what her body can do. I think a lot of that could be very healing. Yeah. Is that, I suppose that is a stage for kids, really, that they become aware of their bodies, mostly because other people have said stuff about it. Usually it's because they begin to be aware that other people are aware of them. It's that awareness of self through others, Mm. you know, so it's people commenting on, isn't that a pretty dress or I really like your hair or look at how big and strong you're getting or look at the muscles you're building. It's comments about bodies that actually, you know, suddenly kids go, oh, people look at me and they have thoughts about how I look. Now I have thoughts about how I look and how I imagine I look to them. Mm. So yet now seven is young. It's not like it's too young, but actually in this instance, it's come because there's been a heightened sensitivity through illness. Mm. And we do see that, especially something like um, anything itchy, rash-based, you know, because your skin, it's kind of uncomfortable. You know, your skin feels a bit crawly and you're not comfortable within yourself. So you're just trying to re-establish that comfort within her body. My daughter is four and recently we discovered she had some hearing problems, which is why her speech is slow, so slow to progress. The Montessori spotted it last year and it's taken a year for us to find out sound doesn't travel all the way through her ears. As a result, her words are hard to understand. She doesn't uh, uh, tend to use sentences, mainly out of frustration of not being understood. This is where I would love Joanna's help. Her frustration gets the better of her at times and she lashes out. I don't blame her at all, as I know I would get upset if no one could understand me. It happens if she has to repeat herself multiple times. She hits and slaps whoever she's talking to. She throws things, she kicks or cry, or sometimes all of the above. On occasion, she opts to not speak at all and can go days without saying a word. I have told her we're going to help her. She knows she'll need surgery in the next few months and that it will get better. But how do I help her in the interim to keep her cool and not go in on herself? Ah, oh, the poor little thing. And also as parents, yeah. what a worry. The lashing out rather than the silence. At least because you know, you know what's yeah. going on. And this is, you're absolutely right. This is about, she cannot ha- feel understood. So she's not getting that loop of, you get me. Because she's having to work so hard to be understood that mm. she's getting frustrated. Now, your average four-year-old at the best of times has a fairly low frustration threshold, you know. But add into this the communication challenge. And of course, hers is especially low. Okay, yeah. so I would say there isn't a... a cure, quote unquote, for this. What you're going to do is just try to support her that those moments or those flashes of frustration are fewer and further between and when she does have them, that they last for shorter periods of time. Because you also know, just as you're saying to her, this will get better, we're going to have surgery. I don't know if she understands that. You might need to do a little bit Mm -hmm. of medical play with the dollies and the teddies just to help her understand what's about to happen. But that you know also resolution to this is coming. So you just have to kind of hold a 
space for her to co-regulate her out of this because she can't do it herself. So do some impulse control play. You know, do the ice cube surprise activity. Fill an ice cube tray with little little bits and bobs, little bits of Lego or little kinder surprise type toys, you know, little bits. Mm. Um, it could be, you know, it depends on the child. It could be anything you put in there and then freeze, put water in, freeze them and give her one each to hold in her hands and then submerge her hands in a basin of just barely warm water and she has to wait for the ice to melt. And it's a very sensory slowing down experience without you ever having to say the words, wait slow down, calm down or stop. It has that effect. And at the end, she gets the reward that whatever was in the ice cube for it. You could also play with red light, green light. She's four. So just do things like jump over to me when I say green light, but freeze when I say red light. Musical statues is a good stop, start, impulse control activity as well. Um, You could also do charades because it's about conveying meaning without words. Now she's Mm. four, so pick really obvious things. And to be honest with you, it doesn't matter what she guesses to your charade, you're going to tell her she's right because it's not about accuracy. (laughs) Um, You really want her being able to communicate in other non-verbal ways and to have fun with it. A lot of sensory play developmentally, it's where she's at anyway, but it will help to take her out of that busy, agitated headspace and down into her body in the now moments, outdoor play and lots and lots of patience. And I don't say that yeah. like it's the easiest yeah. thing out there because it's not. But just know that the end is inside and really there is context for her frustration. You yeah. know, yeah. You, you can understand it and you can let her know that you understand it. Yeah, okay. yeah. we got so many questions in where, you know, kids are having little wobblies and it's not really clear why they are. But exactly, at least you know exactly. And I hope everything goes really well with this. Yeah. yeah. My son has been caught uh, out in a few lies lately, mainly uh, the childminder. He's six and tends to lie about things that happened. The other day he told her I was in a car accident and had to go to, I shouldn't be laughing, had to go to hospital. Absolutely not true. He said his brother went missing for a few hours and we all thought he was stolen. It didn't happen at all. And they are just the things we know about. Thankfully, the childminder knows us so well and knows not to take him at his word. I worry about the types of lies he's telling, but also that someone might believe him. Why would he be doing this and how do I stop him? I mean, I always like, I know people don't always agree with me on this, but I'm kind of respectful of lying, you know, especially in childhood at this age, because I think learning how to tell and refine how you tell a lie is as developmentally important as and is a developmental task of learning how to tell the truth. And all children are going to tell a lie at some point. It tends to start as early as three years old. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. I didn't take the biscuit that has the crumbs all over my lap. I didn't (laughs) colour on the wall, even though I'm holding the red crayon. You know, that whole, they tell a lie. They're not very good at it, by the way, but they do tell it. And it rises between four and six years old, exactly where this little guy is. You know, um, they tend to be quite fantastical lies, as again, his lies are. And they're easily disproven as his lies are because he's telling them to someone who knows you and you're going to come and pick him up. You clearly are not in hospital having had an accident. So it takes until they're about eight years old till they can tell a fairly decent lie that'll have you going, "Mm, I don't know, maybe that is true. You know, so it is a process. So what he's doing, I'm not saying therefore, you know, doesn't matter, let it go. But at the same time, there's nothing pathological here. There's nothing that I'd go, he's doing what now? I'm kind of going, of course he is. He's six years old. He's telling really obvious, over-the-top, fantastical lies. That's exactly what I would expect a six-year-old to be doing. Some of them do it with, you know, bells on (laughs) more than others do it. I think as a parent, what you're going to do is emphasise the importance of telling the truth in your family. In our family, we all tell the truth to each other. In our family, we are all honest. Don't say we don't lie. Try to tell him what to do rather than not to do. And be very interested in the truth, much more than you're interested in the lie. Because 
Another yeah. way children get this loop is they tell you some big story and you're like, what? Is that true? Tell me. And they get a lot of investment. They get a lot of interest from adults about it. So they're like, this is great. Let me see how deeply I can embellish this one before yeah. you call me on it. And that's another way to approach it is a paradoxical approach that, oh my goodness, this is a great story that you're telling. You're so good at making up stories. I haven't said you're lying, yeah. but you know that I know that's not true. Yeah. Okay. And maybe then this advice should be aimed at the childminder as well, because it sounds like he's getting more sauce out of the childminder <laughs> with these stories than he is with the parents. Absolutely. And then, of course, the story is passed on back to the yes. parents. So, you know, it's going and going. I think you could also play with him in it and take the story he's going and, and do an and then <laughs> and add in a bit and exaggerate yeah. it and bl- make jokes and blow yeah. it out of all proportion. And, you know, I do, of course, now praise him when he tells the truth and let him know that's what's important and read stories like, you know, The Boy Who Cried Wolf. But this isn't a lie that's getting anyone into trouble or causing. Mm. If lying crossed a threshold, then of course you're going to take it much more seriously and say, look, this isn't okay. Here's the impact of your lie. Or again, we're always going to hold a line of being, you know, interested, curious and available. I'm really glad you could tell me this. I'm not glad it happened. I'm not happy that you did it, but I'm glad you told me the truth. You're never in trouble for telling the truth. Yeah. That's really important. But with this guy at six, I think I'd be a little bit more playful while holding a boundary that the truth is what you're interested in. Yeah, because... Next week you'll be, Mammy won the lotto. <laughs> <laughs> How wonderful. Uh, that's all around <laughs> yeah, the yeah. estate then after that. Join <laughs> yeah. uh, a fortune as ever. Thanks a million. Thank you. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm. On News Talk.